I'm going to write a journal. Oh, I'm going to journal up. It's not about personal growth. It's not about learning my mistakes or trying to chart potential new career moves or any of that crap. What's your favourite music decade, Barry? Probably quite shallow to divide them into decades. 70s. Really? Mm. Because? Disco, disco. No, 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 no. Rock, rock, rock. I'm amazed that the mental health crisis hasn't hit reality TV because that's where they're going to get into trouble and they won't be able to treat people like this. You will either love it or hate it. For the first 10 minutes, I was hating it. And then I got into the groove. You have to accept a certain thing about Christopher Pine. He is quite theatrical, the former Defence Minister. I have nothing to do except read my book and wait for Whitney. So on the fifth day, she did the interview. She was absolutely delightful. Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkin. And welcome, everybody, to episode 106 of Don't Shoot the Messenger. I'm Caroline Wilson. Corey Perkin is with me, my dear friend. Hello, Caro. Hello, everyone. We've got a very big day today, Corey. We've got a special guest. We've got a fabulous recipe. You and I hold the presses, actually went to a movie together on the weekend, and we both, I think we both loved it, didn't we? Well, we were both sobbing. <laughs> I know that. Sobbing's a bit of an exaggeration. Well, I we were, was. I was crying. I had tears in my eyes. I, I, just... I had to use the old two hands to wipe the eyes, not just one. Like It was pouring. Anyway, we'll talk about that a little bit later. But first, Corrie, it's time to actually reveal details of our Christmas podcast. Oh, I hope people come. What if it's just you, me and Miss Jane? It, what, they won't. We've oh, got, Anna from the Opie. We've, got, some, we've got a very, very, very special famous guest, at least one, a couple of our famous friends. We've got Anna from the Op Shop. We've got my mother, Julia, who has got some new Christmas cheer in form of recipe and reading to, dis- to give, to dispel. Is that the right word on everybody? But Corrie, it's Tuesday, December the 10th. December the 10th. It's a two-hour event, 6.30 until 8.30. We want you to book. You need to email Tara via events at crocmedia.com or you can phone double eight two five double six oh five. That's oh three double eight two five double six oh five. The details will be in our show notes, Corrie. And 10th on of December, everyone, Tuesday night. And it's at Bill's Hotel in South Melbourne. We're on the rooftop. It's going to be a lot of fun, bit of music, bit of laughter, bit of Christmas cheer. And the tickets are how much? Eighty dollars, Corrie. <gasps> But that, oh, it's, that's very steep. It's a fully catered event, and you'll get grog as well. The and as you said last week, great entertainment. And great, no, but you, what, what's more, God, what more do you think, want? I don't think my brother would pay $80 to come and listen to In fact, I know well, that, that my brother Well, that says more about your and, brother than about the event. And $5, excuse me to butt in, ladies, $5 from every ticket sold is going to a charity of your choice. So you need to get thinking. Oh, yes, we've been lobbied a little bit about the charity of our choice. We have to talk about that, Carol. It's far too much to think about. But, look, it's going to be great fun. Um, We might have a special tiger person there as well. Surprise, surprise. There'll be books. There'll be It'll be fabulous. Anyway, now we've got a special guest coming up, but before we Yeah, introduce... just a tip, everyone. If you don't like the Richmond Football Club, don't bother coming. <laughs> no, no. It's that's... going to be that kind of a night that's... with Julia, Anna, Caro, that mystery guest... That's actually not Jane's practising the theme song. If you invite Clarko, he can come and we can spread the Hawthorne love as well. Oh, do you think? Everyone's welcome. Maybe Clarko could bring his guitar. (laughs) Yes! Uh, No, 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 sorry. No, even the Hawthorne players would be turning their back on that. We could sing Kumbaya. 
In thank the spirit you. of Christmas. I just want to thank Lindell Neutron via Facebook, who says she loves the podcast, Jane, Carol and Corrie. Don't you love the way she puts Jane first? She's getting way above her station. Just wondering if it's available on Spotify so she can take it on runs with her. She might be encouraged to go further if she can have 45 plus minutes of good quality banter and entertainment to drown out the sound of her puffing and panting. Well, she just has to download the iTunes WhatsApp or something like that. Okay, so on any internet browser, Lindell, you can find us. We aren't on Spotify at the moment. We don't know why, but we're getting our text to look into it. So thanks for your message. And also thank you to Lisa, who um, recommended Don't Shoot the Messenger. She said it was one of her all-time favourite podcasts, Corrie. Loves listening to us and particularly loves listening to my mum, Julia, who she thinks is a hoot as she travels the roads of Victoria. Honestly, that Julia, she's going to end up with her own podcast one day. Well, she thinks she should have one. <laughs> she compares us to a Seinfeld episode talking about everyday life. <laughs> talking Spe- about nothing. <laughs> Speaking about everyday life, the October challenge. Give us okay. your latest update. Okay, so, Caro, as everybody will recall, I am cooking out of new cookbooks. I'm test driving them, trialling them, and uh, I will at the end of, well, I suppose this will go on, this challenge will actually go on for another few weeks, but just before Christmas in the summer period, I'm going to say which I think are the best cookbooks that you should have for your summer holidays. This one is an oldie but a goodie but reworked. So it's Community by Hetty McKinnon the Sydney salad bar owner who went to live in New York. And she's written uh, a couple of books, as we know, Community and Neighbourhood. Both she, of them are in our shelves. A lot of cauliflower. A lot of grains. <laughs> well, there's a, there are a lot. It's a salad book. It's fantastic. I can't tell you how many of Hetty's books we have sold over the years. But what she and her publishers, Plum, have done, have they, they've done a best of the – Best of the best, but included new recipes and new stories. So she's taken some of the good old traditional ones from the original community book, a few from the neighbourhood, and she's added a whole lot more. And I can tell you that last night, a lot of these recipes I have cooked before, so I can vouch for them and say they're fantastic. But last night I cooked uh, a terrific salad that went – I'm just looking for it now, so I'm stalling a bit – a terrific salad that we served with meat. You could have it on your own or you could serve it particularly, I think, with lamb would be delicious because of the pea component. Uh, Carol, what did you cook it with? Um, uh, we had we just had some uh, cut-up eye fillet with it, so it was really delicious. I can't find I it I did now. this Andrew McConnell recipe last night. Well, I did roast chicken, but Clem decided we needed a zing, you know, a zing to the them dish. Yes. And we did. It was sort of similar to our old friend Andrew Seckel and or Michael Ramston's marinated red peppers that you did in strips. And remember they used to do them in oil with chilli and a bit of anchovy, I mm, think. And delicious. it was almost like a dip. Mm. This is um, you marinated in golden, finely chopped golden shallots, tiny bit of garlic, a little bit of sherry vinegar, olive oil and capers on top and parsley. Oh, how delicious. And you've got these beautiful peeled roasted red pepper strips in a big dish. It's a very impressive dish. And Once, it would look pretty too. Yeah, so you just have to get past the roasting bit and peeling all the skins off, which I, of course I did all the hard schlepping and Clem did all the beautiful decoration. So, Caro, what what we did was we had this recipe. It's called broccoli and orichetti with yogurt and peas. Oriachetti, isn't it? Oh, or do you say ori- the C-H? No, oriachetti, I think you do, probably. I think you do. And uh, it's just, it, it, it is basically a pasta salad, but gosh, it's fabulous. You make this yogurt and pea dressing, which is essentially Greek yogurt, garlic, uh, extra virgin olive oil from you-know-who, frozen peas, thawed, 
and salt and pepper, and you just put it in the whizzer so this pale green, beautiful kind of dressing comes out, which you could use for a variety of things. And then you just cook up the orichetti pasta, broccoli heads, frozen peas, basil leaves, pine nuts, toasted, dry chili flakes, salt and pepper, and you sprinkle all of that on the top. You blend it through because you don't want the yogurt to split or anything, so you do it quite slowly. It is the prettiest, most tasty. The chili flakes really make this. So I have to tell you, it's coming out in November, The New Community by Hetty McKinnon, and uh, I will continue with this challenge, Caro, and at random we'll bring out recipe books that I think are fantastic. How are you going with your reading challenge? Well, I've fi- I've, my reading challenge, as we know, has been an abject after, after the amount, after I loved The Dutch House, I'm now reading, I've gone back to F. Scott Fitzgerald, and I'm reading The Great Gatsby. <sighs> Which I am absolutely... Didn't you do... That reminds me of fifth form at school, no, writing well, endless essays about why Daisy was so tragic well, and pathetic. Tender is the Night is probably, I reckon, one of the best novels ever written. Agree with ever that. Ever written. So I'm doing F. Scott Fitzgerald. I'm doing a classic, but I've sort of... I've crossed that October challenge off as a failure, and my November challenge is three words, British Film Festival. Oh, good. I have got online, Corrie, and you have bought me tickets to Fisherman's Friends, which we're going to with the Cornish walking gang. I'm going... It does sound like we're about to swallow a whole box of throat lozenges, doesn't it? I'm starting off with um, Military Wives, which opens a British film festival Mm -hmm. midweek. I'm going with my friend Sal. And then I am... I've got seven. I'm going to seven movies. I'm doing a bit of old. I'm doing Kind Hearts and Coronets, that absolute Mm. classic from the 40s. With Alec Guinness. I'm doing the new one with Helen Mirren, which looks absolutely brilliant, which is called, I think, Bad Liar. I'm doing Hope Gap, which has got Bill Nye. Are you doing and, the one with Kira Knightley? I'm doing the Kira Knightley with you, Official Secrets. Anyway, what I'm not doing, I am going to be a film festival aficionado. I'm going to be like our friend Marjorie, except I think she goes to about 40 during the Melbourne Film Festival. I've always told you, Caro, that life after football for you, you should be some sort of Margaret Pomerantz with brunette hair. I I really think you've just lost your true way with the vocation of being a film critic. Well, as you know, I went into journalism so I could become a film critic. (laughs) Anyway. What happened to that? Corrie, you need to introduce our guest. No, I need to tell you my challenge. You always forget to ask me my challenge. It's just like, what am I, chop liver? You just said you were going to take your challenge through November. No, no, I I have a new one. No, no, that's because I'm just doing that for work purposes now. I'm going to write a journal Oh, okay. Well, that's changed from where we were. I'm going to start journaling. I'm going to journal up. Oh, I can't believe it. So there's not. it's not about personal growth. It's not about learning my mistakes or trying to chart potential new career moves or any of that crap. I want to capture the anecdotes and observations of life because I'm finding that I forget them. Mm, could be an issue. Well, that's me. what Annabelle, our friend Annabelle Crabb, told us we should do. Now we're doing a podcast. We well, needed to put exa- things down. Well, you see, this was the catalyst. But the other thing too is writing the new column in the Age or in the Domain section, and I, ha- I, f- it's a personal column, and so many curious things happened during my incredibly wonderful life. <laughs> She laughs. So does everyone around the table. Uh, But customers say funny things. The grandchildren just this morning driving along the banks of the Yarra on a beautiful spring morning. There are so many things that just capture my attention. And then when I come down to either prepare for the podcast or write a column, do you think I can think of one? 
conversation, yeah, that, one that's funny true. line. That's true. So I've just decided at the end of each day, I'm just going to capture it. And who knows, we might even do a little reading to potties as we go along with this channel. <laughs> Got up, clean teeth. I feel a bonus episode coming on. (laughs) Corrie, good luck with that. Thanks very much. I look forward to hearing the first installment. Would you like to introduce our wonderful guest? I would. I'm so excited he's here. Barry Bissell, welcome to the show. Corrie's been trying to get you in here for a very long time. It's lovely to see you. Well, clearly she obviously forgot up until recently, and it was a very pertinent time to introduce me because I forget everything. <laughs> I forget everything. Including how to get In, here. Yeah, yes. <laughs> well, it's not that easy. No, that's true. But once you've done it once, Barry... I, I just never put in Croc Media into your GPS, Baz. It just doesn't work. It takes you to the other side of South Melbourne. So anyway, it's, that's I'm, where glad I've been. You, I'm glad you've arrived. <laughs> Carrie, you, Barry, Barry, you've become a great friend of Corrie's bookshop and you're obviously one of Australia's best known radio announcers, DJs. People will hear your voice and have wonderful, wonderful memories. I didn't know you were such an avid reader. So Corrie's going to introduce you and sort of talk about why you're here. Well, look, the reason I wanted Barry to come in, Caro, because it's that time of the year when you and I start to reflect about the books that we have loved this year. And when I look around our customer base and also my friendship group, I don't know very many people who have read as many books, fiction particularly, as Barry. He can't, May I say that you have retired now officially, haven't mm. you, from well, radio yeah. world? Sort of. I have a little bit of part-time here and there. I got in a car yesterday and heard myself on Gold 104. Oh, <laughs> this sounds ser- Oh, that's me. me. <laughs> I was doing a U2 special. <laughs> How funny to pop up when you least expect. I'm glad to know I'm not the only person who hates hearing myself on radio. Oh, Shocking. <laughs> loathe it. Loathe no, you it. sound fantastic. Also, to be on gold is, is a bit scary. Gold. It means we're very old. I Are you am. joking? My kids love gold. My my eldest daughter, Rose, always says, look, Mum, let's just listen to gold. It's better than, you know, Oh, it's because our music to. is better than their music. Exactly. But the, the, one of the reasons, I, I mean, the main reason I wanted to ask Barry in is because we're talking about books and I couldn't think of a finer contributor than Barry to this particular segment, but also the fact, Caro, that the uh, I've become quite nostalgic in recent times because I've been downloading uh, music for the bookshop on Spotify, which is a really fantastic, interesting thing. You become your own DJ in a way. And I was recalling the other day how I used to, in the early 80s, I used to, or mid-80s, used to somehow put the microphone near the radio as it was playing and I would turn the microphone, turn the the recorder on and I'd capture my tracks like that. And nine times out of ten, I was listening to your wonderful Top 40 show, which was such an institution. Did it go for 30 years? Yeah, 20. I did it for 21. It continued on for a while after that without me, but then jittled away. Well, of course it did because you weren't there. (laughs) Because I wasn't there. Uh, That's the one complaint I get. From everybody I meet, anywhere I go, they say, I used to listen to you on Take 40 Australia all the time. Why the hell did you have to talk over the intros of the song? Oh, really? Yeah, because I'm pushing my cassette, you know, pushing the start button and you're blabbing on and saying, this is Take 40 Australia and this is number 16. I think that's probably right, Barry. I think I have your voice on a cassette somewhere in the bottom of a kitchen drawer. Saying exactly that. To be kept somewhere. So, uh, what was your? What's your favourite music decade, Barry? Um, it's probably quite shallow to divide them into decades. Seventies, really? Mm. Yeah, because disco, disco. No, 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 no. rock, rock, rock. 
No, yeah, exactly. Well, I, was th- I was thinking you might be a KC and the Sunshine Band mm, kind of guy. No. My favourite band of all time, and I quite a sad day today because um, the guitarist in this band actually died from liver cancer yesterday, Paul Barrea. The band was Little Feet uh, with Lowell George and not yep. very well known, but absolutely far and away the best concert I've ever seen. From the moment they got on stage, this was 1976, the moment they got on stage, everybody was standing and you could not sit down. The music was just Fest- so Festival driving. Hall? No, it was uh, actually in Sydney, uh, probably the Horton Pavilion, I think, yeah. So um, we're, go- we're going to talk largely about female artists and bands, only because, I don't know why, except that Corrie seems to have dozens of new biographies and tomes and big coffee table books relating around those. I read a fabulous article about the new Susie Quattro documentary that's coming out that looks fantastic. And I I mean, look, I'm not saying Susie Quattro is my favourite artist, but I really admired what she did. And she was certainly a groundbreaker. My favourite artist of all time is Joni Mitchell. And Corrie tells me, I've got a wonderful book about her that my brother gave me um, oh, about five years ago. But there's so many great books well, about Well, that's, that's a nice segue. We do have these wonderful biographies that are in. The Debbie Harry one of Blondie is just going off. The new one about Janis Joplin arrived last week. Patty Smith has a follow-up to her uh, terrific one she did a couple of years ago. Name goes out of my head at the moment. Uh, there's a Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young. Very Patty interesting Patty Smith who keeps biography. coming back to um, Uluru. She's yeah. been twice and she's coming back again. Oh, so really? I, it's a, just a bit of trivia there. Well, I she won't that. be able to walk it. No. But Barry, uh, Caro mentioning Joni Mitchell, her favourite artist, is my is a segue to my thank you gift to you a bit in advance because oh, you better perform because you haven't <laughs> finished yet. Whoops. But this is my thank you for coming on the podcast. I would like to gift you and show Caro this beautiful new book. It's a hardcover. It's forty nine ninety nine. Joni Mitchell, Early Songs and Drawings, Morning Glory on the Vine, it's called. And it looks in, like one of her drawings on the front. In 1971, as her groundbreaking album, Blue, emerged as really sort of put her on the map, didn't it, really? She thought about what sort of a gift that she would give her friends at Christmas, and she decided to do a handmade book, and only 100 copies were produced. And in it were Joni's handwritten lyrics and reproductions of her drawings, because she's a fabulous drawer. And each one of these was given to a friend who have treasured it. And now I think probably with Joni Mitchell's health sadly declining, there has been an okay on behalf of her and possibly her um, lawyers and the friends and so on to reproduce this book. And this is it. Look at look at this. Look. All the all oh, the wow. all the handwritten wow. notes of the lyrics. Sorry, Barry, I'm sort of squeezing your book. She here, was a wonderful artist. Um, the drawing on the front drawings. of Court and Spark is yes. absolutely beautiful. Look at, the, look at this one with the cat. Sorry, potties, you can't see this, but well, Miss Jane is filming it and she's going to put it on the Instagram account. So I just think that this is a beautiful book. It's such a stunner. And when your brother Will was in the shop last week, Caro, I did suggest to him that he should buy this for you for Christmas. So Good hopefully suggestion. somebody will give it to you. <laughs> will Barry, does a, that's your copy for will today. Will does a Thank great you. imitation of, I can't remember which artist said it to her after Blue came out, Joni, Joni, keep something for yourself. I mean, she just, you know, she, everything is so deeply personal, isn't it, with mm. her? And yet the fun songs, like both Carrie and the Circle Game, I sang to my kids when they were little, whenever I walked them, poor children, I've got the worst voice. You can't return, we can only look behind from where we came and go round. 
But they, such singable songs and such beautiful lyrics. Amazing lyrics. Have you seen her live? Yeah, only once at the Palais. Yeah, um, when she I was came there. Out. Yeah, <laughs> I that, was that, there. that was a great concert, wasn't, wasn't it? Wasn't it wonderful? Yeah. She's just ethereal. She lives in another space yeah. when she's on stage. And the, the, it's funny you mentioned the 70s because isn't it interesting? Um, a bit like I talked last week about the Judy Garland film, which is fabulous. You know, these films about faded film stars who, you know, in their last hurrah, we, we talked about the Marilyn Monroe one as well that came out a few years ago, My Week with Marilyn. But the the Queen movie, the Elton John mm. movie, that all starting in the 70s, I'm sure we're going to see a lot more of those because these stories have not been repeated, have they, with the musicians of today? No, and uh, they can't be. It was just such a dynamic era and, I don't know, just creative. It, we had the... 60s with the whole Beatles thing that happened and then all these extraordinary solo artists coming out through the 70s which is, and some great bands, which I really loved. But I thought Joni was just exquisite and I love my favourite album is The Hissing of Summer Lawns. Yep, great album. Beautiful yeah, Which record. was just it was after Blue and after mm, Court and Spark. Yeah. So what, how, did you, how did you fall into this industry, Barry? I fell into it. Be, uh, I grew up in Swan Hill and... Um, I was 15 when I heard my first Beatles record and I just wanted to be part of that. what was going on. Can you remember which it was? Which one? Um, Love Me Do, which isn't one of my favourite Beatles songs. But, um, it just, you know, it, just, it was just so different. It was a total change. And then there was that massive movement of um, British music that came out, so many great bands. And... Um, I thought the only thing I can do because I can't sing or play anything is do it, maybe do it on radio. And the manager of the local radio station lived on the corner of our street, Harry Lithgow, and I just hassled him. I said, can I come on, do, you know, just hang around and do something? And they weren't even a top 40 station there. And uh, I, he, he let me in. You started in the mail notes. room, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, packing back to the Bible and Dad and Dave to send back to the uh, – to the distributors every Monday morning, masses of packages because oh, that's where all they run. And then day three, someone was sick, someone called in sick and he said, oh, you better go on air. And that was it. I just thrown in the deep end and I always expected it was something to do just briefly until I had to get a real job. But um, I just fell on my feet. I loved it so much. I managed to get my head around it and do it. You've uh, you've met so many of the greats, Elton John, Michael Jackson. You've interviewed them all. And you've become friendly with a lot of them. But it's I suppose it's a little bit like journalists. Sometimes we, some journalists, can get into uh, that awful mindset that you think that they love you for who you are, rather than <laughs> the opportunity that your publicity might give them. But can you say that there are a handful of artists who have become lifelong friends? Yes, mostly Australian mm. artists. Um, yeah, definitely. When you interview somebody, which you've done so many of those interviews, to kind of cut to the chase, I was reading um, somebody did an interview with you where you said, and you and I share this, the worst interview you ever did was with Hugh Grant mm. when he came out to do Mickey Blue Eyes <laughs> yeah. publicity in 1999. And I felt exactly the same way. Facile, 20 minutes in a hotel room, what a disaster. So mm. you and I must have overlapped. Yeah. Did you interview him at that hotel in Sydney? Yeah. Yes. With Elizabeth Hurley as the gatekeeper outside? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I yeah. must have missed you by that much. <laughs> I actually said to him Wasn't at the end of it. Wasn't he a dickhead? Yeah, I said to him at the end of it, I said, you're not really interested in doing this, are you? And he said, no. And I said, well, let's not bother anymore. 
<laughs> oh, Good really? On you. Well, I'd got nothing out of him. He was, you know, he was just, and he, he looked at you like, what the hell are you doing here? And I thought, well, what the hell are you doing here? He's doing his job, obviously, because they sent him out to promote the movie. It wasn't much of it was a movie a crap either, movie was it? Anyway, no. Yeah. Yeah, no, oh, no, but, but name I'm, me one good Hugh Grant no, movie. No, but, oh, <laughs> oh, Barry, on. come on. Four Weddings and a Funeral is a good film. Love Actually. Well, actually, I didn't mind Notting him in Hill. that. I didn't I mind like him in a very, Hill, I didn't mind him in a very English scandal playing Jeremy Thorpe. Yeah, see, I yeah, didn't. Was... Yeah, I, you you put me onto that. I didn't think he was very good in that. Mm, I thought he did it quite yeah. well. No, I know we disagreed on that one, but I did love Notting Hill. I just think he's always Hugh Grant, no matter what he plays. It's uh, always it's the hair flicking. I think you've, both of you have never got over how rude he was, no, probably. And never Mickey will. Blue Eyes was never a shocking will. film. <laughs> Caro, before we go on to our three favourite books each for 2019, I just wanted to quickly gauge your view on the Melbourne Press Club crisis when the journalists become the story and then they don't report it entirely accurately or well, appropriately. Well, do they or don't they? I mean, it's been written up. The Age did a. Uh, made a um, job of it last week. Not a bad job. They they sort of wrote about what had but happened. But the, the press release that came out from the Melbourne Press Club oh, saying that their president and their vice president and their CEO had all resigned but kind of buried the lead, never really explained why they had, yes. which had been a fracas with one of their other life members, Mike, Mike Smith, Smith, former editor of The Age. So so Michael Rowland and Adele Ferguson and Mark Baker, who is the CEO, I guess, of the Melbourne Press Club, have all quit. Um Look, there was a mediation situation involving Mike Smith. There was a publication. They're putting out the next group of legends of um, the for yeah. the Australian Media, Media, Media Hall legends. of Fame. In fact, in the first edition, there's a very excellent piece written by someone we know on you, Caro. By you, Corrie. You were very generous. <laughs> very generous. We did the interview opposite your bookshop, as Can I, I recall. Backslapping here. <laughs> it's like it's like I that know. cartoon. After you, no, after you, Chip and Dale. So, so th- there was. There was a, a falling out involving Michael Wilkinson because he was going to publish. He'd done the, they'd done the deal to publish the next sort of book, big, lovely hardcover book about the new breed of media legends who are about to be inducted. Um, there was an issue from some in the Melbourne Press Club who didn't believe Michael Wilkinson should get the gig because of another book he was publishing at the time. He is now no longer publishing that book. As Mike Smith, I think, said, look, we've done the deal. We, we've signed the contract with him. So there was there, there were two different two different. Um, um, people, two different organisations here within the same organisation, working together but not working together, massive falling out, and in the end the mediation completed, and then you know three very very key members have quit, leaving our friend Eileen Berry to pick up the pieces. She's president, acting president, and acting CEO. But I used to be on the committee of the Melbourne Press Club. I think they call that a, you inherited something sandwich, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> I used to be on the committee of the Press Club, and there were probably at the time Neil Mitchell was president. And I think there were probably about about ten or twelve of us, because you, the idea is that you represent various parts of the industry, radio, TV newspapers. There are now, I think, 20 or something on the committee. I don't see how you can run an effective organisation with that many people on what is effectively the board. It represents 500 members. The Melbourne Press Club does an incredible job. And I have to say that Mike Smith has been not only a founding father, but has really nursed the Melbourne Press Club through some of its darkest days and has given immense time and energy to this organisation. 
uh, and a lot of it free of charge, most of it free of charge. But the question So you're is, on Mike's side. Well, no, I'm, well, I don't, I don't know the details, but I think if you're going into a publisher, from a, from a bookseller's point of view and knowing the publishing industry now as I do, if you enter into an agreement to have a book published and the work begins, you really have to honour the agreement. If there's a feeling that the publisher has lost their way or, or is agreeing to publish a book by somebody else who you think is not appropriate, it's not a good fit, you have to have the discussion before you break the contract. And you certainly have to have discussions with the publisher and with the person being Mike Smith who put the deal together. So I don't know. Look, I just I just think that the Melbourne Press Club is worth saving. It would be terrible if this cut at its core and the whole thing disappeared. It does huge work as a forum for bringing uh, business leaders, politicians and journalists all together in a bipartisan space. And, of course, it's a really loud and vocal voice for free- press freedom in Australia. The book, by the way, that Michael Wilkinson was going to publish was um, Dangerous by, Ma- is it Milo Yiannopoulos? I think that's how you say and, it. And um, yeah. I think it's now been cancelled by Simon & Schuster. Now, I think it's been... Um, that Michael Wilkinson is no longer publishing the book. Mm. So that issue was put away. But I think the feud between Baker and Smith had become untenable and that's what saw everyone walk away. It's just so sad because they've been friends for nearly 50 years, those two. Anyway, I hope they can all kind of have a beer together at some stage. Well, it doesn't sound like it. it sounds. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I mean, we all love going to the Quill Awards, and they do a wonderful job with that. So let's hope that um, let's hope it is resurrected in some way, and Eileen doesn't um, have to carry this burden alone. Now, are we doing a crush of the week? Now? I'll do a quick. I'll do a, No, I'll do a quick crush. And I was going to mention, and I and I still will, the community and custodians of Uluru who have said enough walking on our rock and have claimed it back. Uh, well done to all of you. But we, because Barry, our wonderful DJ friend, is here, I thought in honour of him I would talk about a new and rising talent in the audio sphere, and that is Christopher Pine. Oh, really? Are you joking? <laughs> no, no, no. He's quite he is, funny. He is my crush of the week. Okay. And I'll tell right. you why. Miss Jane put me onto this. Podcast One Australia is now producing Christopher Pine's new podcast. What's it called again, Jane? Pine time. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds like a toilet disinfectant. (laughs) Definitely a cleaning product. So pine time. Pine time. I can't say it like Jane does. She just put her rosemary Annabelle the other day. Yeah, he's done one with Annabelle. He's done one with Barry Cassidy. He's done one with Peter Hellier. I've listened to two and a half of the three. Miss Jane said to me, you will either love it or hate it. For the first 10 minutes, I was hating it. And then I got into the groove. You have to accept a certain thing about Christopher Pine. He is quite theatrical, the former Defence Minister. It starts with rather interesting Stevie Wonder, uptight-esque 1960s music, which is kind of funny for Christopher Pine. Hi, I'm Christopher Pine, and welcome to Pine Time. For years, I've been on the receiving end of a barrage of questions, some would say abuse, from the media and other politicians. But I've tried to keep it together, and hopefully I've had a successful career in politics. But now I'm out of the game, and I'm risking it all to step out of my comfort zone and embrace a new world of media. And then you also have to get used to the fact that whoever he interviews, he completely grabs the spotlight and puts it back on himself. So he will ask Annabelle Crabb about an anecdote 
about when she was making the house. And then we'll talk about how he took her around in the film crew for three days or two weeks. Or It all becomes about him, him, him. But it's kind of endearing in a campy, hilarious Adelaide sort of way. Oh, <laughs> oh Adelaide. Adelaide is the key point. Well, there. there's an Adelaide. I'm, there draw, I'm drawn to an Adelaide accent, I have to say. I love Amanda Vanstone on her Radio National show. Uh, Annabelle Crabb is an Adelaide girl. There's something about an Adelaide accent that is quite endearing. Yeah, I agree with that. I spent a lot of time in Adelaide through footy. I, I seem to be, gravitate to both those football clubs, Adelaide and Port Adelaide, because they've been the the, uh, the genesis of such great footy stories over the years. But they are different. It's a it is it is a a state that has its own personality. No a bit doubt. like Queensland. It's, re- it's a really interesting – Christopher Pine talks about this in his episode with Annabelle Crabb about the uh, how many people you meet overseas, Australians who are in theatre or journalism or the media, uh, on stage, behind stage, in the arts, and you'll t- be talking to them and they'll say, oh, yes, I'm from Australia, I'm from Adelaide. He finds it quite extraordinary how many times these people pop up in this particular sphere. And I once did a story years ago, Caro, for The Age, on the Adelaide accent. Our friend uh, Mary Clark and, and a couple of others were very helpful with this. But uh, I spoke to a linguist at Monash University who said, Corey, it's like the cane toad. It's crossing the border at a rate of knots. <laughs> <laughs> Very soon, Victorians will also be speaking with the Adelaide accent. And they'll say, this is our place. <laughs> I, I think they also, um, well, they understand football as well or better than anyone else in the country. I think that's why I enjoy them so much. Miss but- Jane's from Adelaide too, can I just say. Singer, producer extraordinaire. Um, okay, on to our three books each. Okay, well, mine are pretty simple and I've spoken about them a lot. Um, Apologies to Normal People by Sally Rooney because I just love that book. But I really, I I have to say that Boy Swallows Universe is going to be my book of the year because it was so original. It was Australian. It is something completely different and I could not put it down. And I really hope it does, as it has been, option becomes a movie. My second one is Kate Atkinson's Transcription. We've spoken about that a lot too. She's one of our favourite authors and her World War II sort of kind of... um, is it a what's it called when you do three books on the same trilogy? trilogy. Yeah, <laughs> a trilogy. Thanks, Barry. Um, I, I think that's it's not as good as Life After Life, but it is a wonderful story about basically the BBC, World War Two, and spies. Um, if I have to be very, very simple. And my third one, and I know you didn't agree with me, but I loved After the Party by Cressida Connolly. Well, it's interesting you say that, Caro, because one of the book clubs you're involved in that I run through the shop with, uh, known as the Coastal Book Club, hello to Anna and all the gang down there, uh, the Coastal Book Club did this book. I learned new things from the insights of the participants. Now, isn't that the reason we all go to book club? Yep. But I've kind of, I wouldn't say, it, it, it's gone up a notch or two. I wouldn't say it's in my favourite 10 for the year, but it really, I, I learned new aspects of this book. Great story about three sisters, about the fascist movement in the UK leading up to World War Two, about Oswald Mosley. Just a wonderful, wonderful story. So that's my three. Barry, what about you? I, I hope you've bought all of these at my shop. Can I, I just have, Corey. I have. <laughs> in fact, one of them you gave me. His name's uh, Billy, not silly. <laughs> uh, I really loved, strangely, it's very dark, The Wolf and the Watchman, um, Nicholas Nuttock Day, Night and Day. And do you know when you told me about this book, I started recommending it and customers were coming back in saying, that book you recommended was amazing. I didn't pretend that I'd read it myself. I said that <laughs> Baz had done it, but... 
It was very dark, but it just was an insight into um, the human soul that you can't quite imagine. And it was, I found it riveting. I really, really enjoyed it. I thought it was beautifully written. It's, and it's set when? Um, it's set in uh, 1793 in Stockholm. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Dark, oh. dark place. There's a lot of dark things going on then. <laughs> well, it's wow. the start of Scandi oh, yeah. crime, I guess. Yeah. Um, an American Marriage. Oh, love. Tayari Jones that you recommended. And uh, I really love because the first time I went to America – um, for a radio conference, it was in Atlanta, Georgia, which I came to realise much later is very different to the rest of America. It's that it's the deep south. Uh, well, it's not that deep. It is southern, and everybody says to you, "Y'all yeah, come back now," um, all the time. And uh, it just the uh, the story of the, it's, it's got a huge black population, and the story of these uh, the um, Newlyweds, the black couple, I just found really beautifully written, and um, his incarceration for something he didn't do was, you know, wrecked wrecked a marriage. But great book, yeah, and it won the women's prize for fiction, well deserved, Did I it? think. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I really loved it. And my third one is a one, another one that you put me onto, which is a republish um, from I think ninety seven was it, um, Eva Ibbotson, a song for summer. Don't we love it? Yeah. I it's just, so quirky. Carol, you would love I this. I've never heard of it. I didn't expect to like it think, when I think, started think it. Midford's, think Nancy Mitford, Love in a Cold Climate, but with a slightly darker, menacing pre-World War II Austria, Hitler coming over the border kind of thing. Yeah. The, the time of it was, uh, was also dark, but it's not a dark book mm-hmm. in the slightest. In fact, it's, I found it really quite funny. In lots of places. She's a clever, clever writer. I can't believe I'd never heard of her before. Well, there's another couple in the shop yeah. now, so you'll have to well, call in. if they're as good as this one, I'll do it. I'm glad you enjoyed that. Yeah, loved it. So knowing that you three, you two are doing three fiction each, I've chosen three non-fiction just to be contrary. And my would, and in no particular order, can I say, uh, and, I'm do, and I will give a nod to The Glossy Years by Nicholas Coleridge, which has just arrived in the bookshop. He was the chair- he is the chairman of Condé Nast, so it's full of Diana and running Vogue and Tatler, and it's a fabulous memoir. The other one too I loved was Tim Costello's A Lot with a Little, his autobiography. But I would say The Erratics by Vicky Laver Harvey, which won the 2019 Stella Prize, and I know a lot of book clubs around the country are doing that at the moment. If you haven't put it on your list, do. It's fabulous. Uh, the second one, Caro, is close to our heart, Mandalay Forever by Tatiana de Rosne, which is the biography of Daphne du Maurier. Given yep. that we were going on our Cornish walk, Barry, I felt it was appropriate to learn about this celebrity. And, of course, boy, is she a celebrity. Everywhere you go, it's sort of Daphne du Maurier corner, isn't it? In Cornwall. Well, we, we, we looked over at her old house we did. from where we were staying, which was very exciting. We did. But Tatiana de Rosne's biography came out a couple of years ago, but I finally got to it, and I just have to say it is a very, very fine book about uh, all the all the black and white that create a brilliant writer. She had such a, a life of highs and lows. And the third one is by a local writer, Michelle Scott Tucker, and it is the biography of Elizabeth MacArthur, John MacArthur, the uh, Australia's first oh. successful pastoralist. And who was a real bad egg. He yeah. was a bad he egg. He was a shocker. He mm. spent a lot of time offshore. 
back mm. in the home country and Elizabeth had to run the new merino stud that they developed. She had to run all the convict labourers. She had to run the property, the children that they had. She was a remarkable woman, way, way, way ahead of her time. Interestingly, Macquarie and other governors in the area highly respected her, highly regarded her. Uh, but she was left to keep the home fires burning. And the thing I love most about her, so many things I learned through Michelle's wonderful book, was that she had an innate sense of animal husbandry, how to actually produce the finest merino um, fibre. She well, was, he gets she all was the remar- credit And he that, gets all the credit. He? Yeah. So those are my three. He so. comes out very badly in that latest Jock Sarong novel that we loved. Yes, quite rightly yeah. too. Yeah, yeah he yeah. comes as a bully, really. What Among was that? We're things. all looking at each other now. We've completely forgotten the name About of the, it. The group we are of, getting on after journalists. The group of blokes who pre- – preser- not preservation. Preservation. Yeah. Yes. Mm. Thank you. Preservation <laughs> Island where they where they ran aground. Oh, wonderful novel. Great book. I've got to get journaling so I can When's remember Jock what I'm going to write another book? Oh, come he's, on. It was only doing, 12 months. He's doing, a, he's doing yes. a, a trilogy. He is. Oh, is he? Yes, on f- from that same – from that link. Oh, yeah. okay, from preservation. Yeah. yeah. Oh, He's fabulous. got many more Aboriginal stories and pathways and all good things coming up. Oh, good. Okay. Mm. Thanks for the tip. And another reason to have him on our show. <laughs> We've got a ma- we have a massive crush on him, Barry. He's great. We do. No, I, can, I can understand that. Now, we do. Now, um, Barry, Corrie and I went to the movies on the weekend. I wouldn't say I dragged her, but Corrie's an avid moviegoer who, through um, commitments of the bookshop and grandparenting, has become less so in Let's recent years. Let's just say I've fallen off the wagon. <laughs> We went and saw um, the new production starring Julianne Moore and um, oh, a journalist, <laughs> um, Billy Crudup. Yes, and, and Michelle, Michelle Williams. Williams. <laughs> Michelle Williams. And um, it's called After the Wedding. It's a remake God, of a 2000. This 2000- podcast is going to be riveting in 10 oh. years' time, isn't it? <laughs> there, there, there was a 2006 Danish film called After the Wedding, although it had a different title in Danish. And what um, Bart Frundlich, I think so, how you pronounce it, the director has done is that it was about two, the two main characters were male in the Danish original. They're female. And it's Julianne Moore who is married to the Bart Frundlich. And um, it's clearly a vehicle for her, really. I mean, she is. It's a lot of close-ups, brilliant acting. She does melodrama so well, Julianne Moore. It's been – anyway, the two men become two women and Michelle Williams is the other woman. It opens with Michelle Williams who is working at an orphanage in India and they hear about this um, wealthy New York-based benefactor and she has to fly to New York and meet the benefactor who is Julianne Moore who is married to Billy Crudup. Um, Michelle Williams is inveigled into their family very quickly. She's asked to the daughter's wedding. A brilliant new talent in Abby Quinn who also sings in the movie. Uh, well, her, her singing is a um, soundtrack. soundtrack. Um, I, it didn't get amazing reviews by some. The Sydney Morning Herald said it. It was a, there was an emptiness about it, and the two main characters weren't enough to hold the movie. I thought they were brilliant. I thought they were brilliant too. And it's really hard to talk about this film without giving anything away. So we're going twist to be, upon yeah, twist. We're going to be really obscure here. But a couple of things I just wanted to mention. I think the performances by the two female actors, even though you you had some criticisms of Michelle Williams, I think her character demanded that she play that role. Oh, like I that. just I more didn't like her character at yeah, times. Yeah, yeah, that's right. But but it all becomes yeah, I obvious actually, later yeah. on. Yeah, Julianne Moore is absolutely outstanding. Outstanding. Standing in this film. Billy Crudup, who has been with us all our lives, Caro, since we started seeing movies together all those years ago, 
including inventing the Abbott. Yeah, and uh, uh, almost famous. Almost famous. Uh, he's just sort of popped up through. Remember, our we went life. to almost famous, and the movie broke down halfway yes, through. Right. <laughs> we were sitting in some of those big Hoyt cinemas in yeah. Burke Street that used to be there, and um, about three quarters of the way through the film, it broke down. Yeah, the reel must have just popped off or something. Has that almost ever happened finished. to you? Yes. It's yes, so, it so did. Actually, in Adelaide. I can't remember what the movie was, but I remember the same thing happened. <laughs> they brought us back. It was actually a premiere anyway. What, the, what that film. film did for Tiny Dancer and Elton John, I yes. mean, it goes without saying. But uh, look, beautifully uh, shot, beautifully photographed as well, I have to say. The cinematography on this book, in this film is really subtle. It's set somewhere, we think probably Connecticut, we're not sure. I think it's upstate New York. It's Actually, just it's stunning. Oh, and, house. Oh, oh it, but, it, but, but just close-ups of uh, after the rain has fallen, the irises, the fresh iris coming out of the ground in spring and they're covered in drops of rain. And, oh, it's just such a beautiful movie. I loved it. And as I said earlier, bawled my eyes out. So there you go. No, well, that's a sign of a good film. I um, think so yeah. too. And you know, Barry, you're mentioning An American Marriage. I had tears in that as well. Mm. Me too. It sounds yeah. very similar to that film, If Beale Street Could Talk, which I loathed. Someone bailed me up the other day and said I'd been most unfair about. But that was a, it's a similar story. Oh, an American Marriage. Yep. Yeah, I think it. I think it is not dissimilar. A black couple, and he ends up in jail. Mm. That, that was just incredibly slow moving. It was the slowest thing I've ever seen. Now, I'll, I'll quickly whip through my recipe, Barry, because um, a few months ago, Corrie and I were guest speakers at the Napier Club in Hamilton, and some wonderful Western District uh, men and women were there to hear us bang on about ourselves. And one of the presents, among the beautiful presents they gave us, was these beautiful jars of homemade Afghans. And I remembered that my mum used to make Afghans. By Topsy. Topsy made them for us. Oh, they were so beautiful. She made us little chocolate buttons and in one glass jar, and then in the other one were the Afghans. So I was at dinner with two of my aunts not long ago, and um, one of them mentioned she'd made Afghans um, out of the blue after a while, and they were rock hard and had been a disaster. And my other aunt said, oh, I've got a great recipe for Afghans. She gave me this recipe, or in fact her son did, her son Clive, out of the Invergari cookbook. Now, Invergari was a sort of a finishing school, domestic science school in Hawthorne. Later, it's a beautiful bluestone Property. I think Ahmed Fahua then brought it. It's a, now a massive, beautiful property in Hawthorne. But you went there and you actually lived there. It was like a boarding domestic science school. Absolutely beautiful old house. But the Afghans, I think they're called Afghans because <laughs> they're dark. <laughs> Miss Jane and I are looking at each other. What the... What's Barry, an Afghan? Barry, they are the most. This is the easiest recipe you will ever get. No, they, but they, it's just it, it's just one of those slightly inappropriately named. They should have a new name now these days. Something that's a little more politically correct. One suspects they're, they're chocolate oh, they're, biscuits. They're like, they're like they're yeah. chocolate biscuits. Where Jane's looking at me, the secret ingredient which I never knew is cornflakes. I'll very briefly give you the ingredients. Uh, Topsies didn't have cornflakes in yes, them. Yes, they did. They all do. Really? You don't you don't know, but they are. Flour, butter, sugar, cornflakes, cocoa, pinch of salt and vanilla. That is it. And you basically cream it all together. You make little round biscuits. You add the cornflakes last of all. You do it little teaspoonfuls. I presume you're crunching up the cornflakes. No. Oh. You must have had different biscuits to me. Corrie. I think Topsy's given you different biscuits. Corrie, I didn't have anything with cornflakes You wouldn't in my know jars. they were cornflakes. <laughs> you wouldn't know. Once you make them, it's hard to explain. They Swear absorb. Swear to God, not a cornflake inside. No, Corrie, 
they had cornflakes in them. It does, what you do is you do little teaspoonfuls, you put them in the oven at 180, you cook them for 15 to 20 minutes, and then when they're cold, you put chocolate icing on top. The, this doesn't give you the chocolate icing recipe because any good Invergowrie girl would have known how to make chocolate icing. And then you put a walnut on top of the icing. You will never eat a nicer chocolate biscuit in your life. I made them last week to great acclaim from both family and friends. And I'll give you the recipe, Miss Jane. You can put it on the website and you will love them. Afghans. Okay. You're looking at me quizzically, Barry. Very After after you put the nut on the top, I I got the picture of it. You can picture the round, the biscuit with the icing, and then the curry. I want you getting the apron on and I want you to cook them for little Aussie and he can take them to school. I'm I'm no baker. Oh, his birthday birthday today. Yes, he's 11 today. Happy birthday, Austin. So, Caro, Barry and Adam have a son called... Austin, who is 10 or 11? 11 11 today. He has been coming to the bookshop since he was about two or three, and he walked in the other day tall as. He's going to one of the local schools. He looked just gorgeous in his grown-up uniform, and you know what? He is a massive reader. Good on you, Barry. We did well, Barry. Yeah, well, yeah. Did you read to him when he was little? Well, Adam did, and I did too, but um, I went went to... um, one of his school days with a um, grade two teacher one day, and she, he introduced me to her, and he said, and she said, oh, you're the, gu- you're the guy who gave him the love of words. And I said, oh, I don't know about that. And she said, I do. He talks about it all the time. So, oh, um, an unbelievable compliment. Th- th- well, yeah, it was, it was probably the nicest thing anyone's ever said to me. I thought, what a, what a great gift. And if it's true, I'm very proud of that. It, isn't it lovely that well you done. have him in your life? Yeah, oh, it's fantastic. Oh. I've known him since he was 18 months old, and he's just a great kid. He is a great fantastic kid. kid. Happy he birthday, Austin. Well, anyway, you have to go and cook the Afghans for him now. And, um, okay, well, <laughs> we're very happy about Austin, but you're also grumpy today. I'm dead set. Go ahead. I'm always grumpy. I'm grumpy about <laughs> everything you, that comes under... No wonder you under, and Corrie get on well. <laughs> I'm grumpy about everything that comes under the heading of... Reality television. Oh, what a crop. come on. Oh. Oh, look, I'm here to defend reality no, television. Right no, right back at your boyfriend. I no. agree. Go ahead. What, what do you, which one do you want oh, to mention? Well, all of them, really. Not MasterChef. Hands off MasterChef. Well, well, okay. It's, it's gone, isn't it? <laughs> and I don't think to no, come it back. Hasn't. So it's that's coming it. Back. <laughs> I don't know. Not with the same guys. What are you grumpy um, about? Mostly the block, because that's the current one. And, oh, there is Love Island. Oh, God, it's a shocking show. It's dreadful. And I don't know what they've done to that poor girl. She just looks dreadful. She looks like she's carved out of gold, cheap gold. So, Barry, cut to the chase. What makes you angry about these shows? Repetition. They go, they just, on the block, there hasn't been any building in sight. Finnish room is just here (laughs) out of nowhere. (laughs) <laughs> Somebody said yesterday, um, who would buy a $3 million property built by amateurs in a week? So <laughs> yeah, I think that tells the story. But they bang on they and do. on and on about the same thing, the same issue. And if I can name names, Scott Cam, please, boring. The, well, it's, I've, it's, I've got four words to say to you, Barry. Turn the TV I know off. that. I know that. Well, and, and as we know, it is it is an, a national phenomenon and rates enormously like, well. Nobody's forcing anybody to watch <clears throat> this stuff. 
No. No, no but what it's doing, Corrie, and um, the block is probably not the one that, I mean, the one I really found difficult was Married at First Sight or MAFS as it's known Maths. as because it, it highlights the lowest common denominator of behaviour. It, it's nasty. It's mean. It's about people being mean to each other. That's what it's basically about. Yeah. And I was so glad last week when, um, what was her name, Nicole Prince, actually took on um, House Rules and actually won. I know Channel 7 are appealing, but she spoke about, you know, being isolated. She talked about bullying, assault, even assault and harassment. And, you know, one of... And her claim was that she and her partner were badly edited to, and- to look like they were... Absolute She's cows. now self-medicating with alcohol. She can't get a it's job because sad. of the way she was. And my daughter said to me, well, what did she expect? And I said, no, 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 you don't expect selective editing. You are, these people are vulnerable and the networks are preying on vulnerable people who need the money, who want to be celebrities. So already they're in a, a bad position, a position of weakness. And the stuff that, and I, I've spoke to a girl who was on um, The Bachelor and what they do to you, they just, they push and push and push and they make you work 24 hours a day and get your worst five minutes, as the judge noted. But I mean, and I think someone commented about this maybe on Media Watch. Imagine if um, your worst five minutes of every day became the thing that was shown on TV. I wouldn't, I would hate to think how that would make me yeah, look too. Yeah, come out very badly. So you're I do, hope she loses the appeal. You're doing a Christopher Pine. You asked Barry the question, what's he grumpy about? And you've just had a three-minute monologue about it. No. no she elaborated beautifully. It, it was on the rundown, Corey, that I was allowed to mention Nicole, Nicole Prince because I was so happy that she she took them on. And, and yeah. the other thing, Barry, I mean, we there's so much focus these days on mental health. I know in my world of the AFL, it has become a chance for people to <clears throat> leave football clubs, to not write stories, to not play football, to sometimes make excuses, but generally to say that life is too hard for me. I'm amazed that the mental health crisis hasn't hit reality TV because that's where they're going to get into trouble and they won't be able to treat people like this. Yeah. Well, I I mean, I look at some of those girls on The Bachelor and stuff and and you think, oh, my God, if she's sitting at home watching this back with her family, she must be just cringing. It's terrible. But they sign these extensive contracts. I know, but I'm with Cara. Why? Why would you do it yourself? I, oh, you, wow. If you want to be famous, it's do cheap, good, something. It's cheap, cheap entertainment that, that fills an hour for the commercial televisions. It's cheap. It's networks, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think that's the thing. It doesn't cost much because you don't pay them six much. Six quick questions, Barry. We want you to be involved in this. But my first question is to Caro. Chris Hemsworth is flicking the Melbourne Cup and going to raise at Byron Bay instead. Have you ever ditched a big event for a smaller, more intimate one? Very rarely. I love a big event. <laughs> But I have, I have, um, I knocked, I, I knocked back, um, one year to go to the big opening party, um, for at Wimbledon. The, when I, in the years when I lived in the UK and covered Wimbledon every year, and they had this fabulous big opening thing at the Hard Rock Cafe, and it was great fun because I was asked to go and have a rose with a couple of old journo friends who I hadn't seen for years, and it was much more fun. I don't know why I thought of that, but, um, that was um, one of the most enjoyable evenings of my life, and I don't regret it. Barry, you'd be a bit of a party animal. You'd go to the opening of a curtain, wouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> Used to. I had to when I was working on air, but not anymore. Couldn't think of anything worse. Oh, I'm, I'm not I'm a party person. Mm, big party or television at home, reality yeah. TV preferably. 
Um, Corrie, should authors who win a literary prize in Australia be exempt from paying tax on their prize money? This sounds like a very focused question. Of course they should. <laughs> Thank you for the opportunity to discuss it. No, of course they should. And the reason this has come up, Cara, it was actually in your paper and the Sydney Morning Herald this week. The winners of the Prime Minister's Literary Award, which is a federally funded award, last week they were announced and the winners receive I think it's $80,000 each. They pay no tax. However, if you win the Miles Franklin, which is a privately run trust prize, or you win one of the state premier's literary awards, you have to pay up to one third of your prize money in tax. So this seems incredibly unfair. And if people are going, oh, writers, you know, they're just bloody lucky to receive anything. Well, let's just look at the fact that if you want to write a book and you have to take time off work, and when you actually sell a book in Australia, a moderately successful, no film rights, no television rights, nothing, you're lucky if you make 40, 30 grand, 40 Mm. grand. So I think let's just keep this ball rolling, literary world. Now, Barry, I have a question to you. What is the most insane, crazy junket you have ever been on? Um, I'm, I suspect we're going back to the 80s with this. Uh, <laughs> no, it be the, be the 90s, actually, when Whitney Houston was beginning to have her slide from fame when things were going wrong and her husband was um, beating her up and she was in a bit of a sad place. They released a movie called The Preacher's Wife, which I never saw, but she did the soundtrack for it. The record company was desperate to have um, have some airtime for it. And so they flew me to Los Angeles, put me up in the Beverly Hills Hotel in my own little suite. Wow. And I had to wait for Whitney to be ready to do the interview. So I sat there for four days <laughs> on the record <laughs> company's money. Another pina colada, please. Yeah, oh, no, I, I walked to great oh, – and I – taxied to great restaurants and had a wonderful time. I had nothing to do except read my book and wait for Whitney. So it was on the, on the fifth day, she did the interview and she was absolutely delightful, really, really delightful and still remarkably beautiful at that stage. And she just broke my heart. I'd promised myself I wouldn't go near about the, you know, the home action and stuff. And she just, at the end of it, she said, thank you so much. It was lovely to talk to you. We talked about everything, all sorts of stuff, not just the record, which wasn't particularly great. And she just gave me a great big hug at the end. She said, thank you so much for listening to me. She was a sweetheart. So that was a, that was a great junket and a great treat. And oh, a bit of a sad, sad junket too. Yeah, well, it was, particularly because it was, you know, only months after that that the slide began. And then, and then you turned around and looked at your tape recorder and you'd forgotten to turn it on. <laughs> really? Is that a joke? No. No, 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 no. Clive, oh. it was a great, it was a great um, thing on Netflix at the moment about uh, Clive Davis, The Music of Our Life. He, was, he started at Rista Records. Amazing man. He, he brought so many great artists to the fore and Whitney was one of them and he talks at length about that time with her. He said, I don't never go any uh, personal places with my artists. And he said, but Whitney and I were very good friends. And she came to a gala and they had the footage of it. And she was just this skeleton singing. And he said, I had to address the issue. I couldn't not. It was a gala for him. She sang like a bird, 
but it was probably the last time she sang properly. Oh, and so it, is, it was a beautiful, beautiful interview. He's an amazing man. It's a great, well worth watching. Oh, okay. That's a great tip. Mm. Thanks, Barry. Um, Caro, question for you. Last week's Michael Looney cartoon featuring the mother on the mobile phone looking at her Instagram while the baby falls out of the pram. Like it or condemn it? Completely condemn it. And he's got history, Michael Looney, who we know is a wonderful cartoonist with um, his attacks on mothers. Remember the working mother, the creche um, child of, of many years Carol, ago? I must say, in our village, I often see women looking at their mobile phones and you can see Instagram as they pass you with a pram with a baby in it. Well, it's And they're walking. It's interesting that Michael Looney's sister has done the rival cartoon, which is... Um, the, the the reference to the cartoon that he's done of the pram and she is shooting something at Michael Looney's a part of his anatomy and all this money's coming out of it. <laughs> it it's actually really interesting. And I think, I mean, I, there's a suggestion that feminist baiting is something he does just to get a rise and to get attention. But and I wonder honestly, if, isn't that the role of the cartoonist? And uh, regardless of the women issue here, but that's been, that's been Michael Looney's modus operandi for 45 years. To I get think, under the skin. I of- think he's wonderful. I didn't like the cartoon. I mean, she might. How, how do we know that she wasn't looking up her Medicare number because she's taking her child to the doctor? You know, I just. It's a cartoon. <laughs> no. He's got it. You can't say what was on the screen. Corrie, he's dictated asking, it. You're asking me the question, and I didn't like it. Barry, Corrie has shaped this question. I'm leaving out the monkeys. Oh, Beatles. What? Because I know he's not going to say that Beatles or Rolling Stones. Or monkeys, Barry. No, not the monkeys. Monkeys? I mean, really, It's Corrie. never going to be the monkeys. It's sacrilegious to <laughs> I know, put them I was in just the sort of, there's a little part of me that was hoping Barry would go, oh, I did like Peter talk. <laughs> Beatles or Stones? Beatles. Why? Beatles. Um, just for their body of work, their originality. Um, the, uh, it's the 50th anniversary of uh, Abbey Road. And... Um, George Martin's son, Gilles, has remastered it, remixed it, and it sounds incredible. I've heard this. It's incredible. It I listened amazing. to it the other day in a oh, podcast. Wow. Okay. It's amazing. Not, any, not different, as in doesn't sound like he's mixed it up or, ch- or changed anything. It's just clean and beautiful. All the vocals and everything is astonishing. They're were, they were just amazing. Yeah, they were brilliant songwriters. I they? love the and Stones who, too. And who do you think was the best looking of the Beatles? Mm. I just I love John's personality. Mm. Yeah, mm. I. But I, Paul's beautiful. Well, no, he's kind of cutesy, but no. Oh, I still got a crush on him. Caro, what's your George GL- when they were really young was pretty handsome yeah. too. Well, who's, what's your GLT? Oh, look, we've been doing this podcast so long. I worry about if I've done these before, but as I'll you know, tell you. as you know, I've been <laughs> my memory's spending- that good. I've been spending a lot of time in the garden, and if there's one annoying thing, it's those pesky little weeds that pop up between your pavers or your bricks or your boil the kettle every time you make a cup of tea. And you and I do that a lot, Corrie. Take the rest of the kettle out and pour the boiling water over the bit of weed that's coming through. Oh, weed kill! That's how you do it. You don't need weed kill. You no, don't have to worry about don't the use dog. Roundup. I, you don't, I don't mind. I don't mind little weeds popping in between the. But that's just but they become that's big harsh. weeds. That's harsh. They Hot go water. nuts. They go nuts. Screaming Boiling your water. Place. My friend Emma Laurie, who's a landscape Torture. gardener, gave me that tip a few years ago. I just do it every day now, and that's what gets rid of them. Corey, that is the podcast for today. Barry Bissell, it's been wonderful having you in. Thank you very much. It's been fun. Will you Barry, come again? thank you for coming. Will you come again? Yes, that would be so lovely. Yeah, I'll, I'll work on my memory for next time. <laughs> 
Now, please, everybody, tell your friends and family to subscribe to both our podcasts. Please send – what are both our podcasts? We only do one. Oh, no. <laughs> That's an old line. No, we do the book pod. Are you kidding? You can still upload episodes. Please, We just se- haven't done one for a while. Please send your feedback, comics, uh, comments, tips and suggestions to the Don't Shoot the Messenger Facebook page. You can follow us on Instagram at Don't Shoot Pod. We tweet. Just join at Don't Shoot Pod. And you can email us, feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au. Don't forget we're having a Christmas party on the rooftop at Bells in South Melbourne, Tuesday, December the 10th, 6.30 until 8.30pm. You can email Tara via events at, this is where you email, events at crocmedia.com or you can phone on 03 8825 6605. Details in the show notes, including my Afghan recipe, Barry's book tips, and on our Facebook page in the event listing. Corrie, don't shoot the messenger.